Really good to be together this morning. Grateful for Carl. Grateful for our worship team. Grateful to be all together. My name is Rob. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you sometime. Come, come on down front sometime after service. I'd love to say hello. And, uh, you may have had a chance to get to know Lloyd as well. Uh, we have two teaching pastors at Fellowship, myself and Lloyd Shadrach. It's part of living out our core value, Better Together. It's part of our DNA. Is, you know, we don't believe there's any one person that has all the gifts. We are a body of Christ together. And so we believe in team. It's the way we teach. It's the way we lead. And from our elder team all the way through our whole church. And you're a part of that. If you consider this your church home, it's not us, the church, up here, and you, the people down there. It's us, the church, together. And so this is the part of our service that we come under the authority of God's word. And you know the way that Carl ended that worship service, that's, that's how we end our scripture readings, or in, sorry, ended the scripture reading, is he said, this is the living word of God for us today. And we believe that. We believe that God wants to speak to us today. Us. I mean us in this room today, right now, through his word. And that's why we're here. John chapter 6 is the chapter that we're finishing up this morning. And, you know, it is the longest or at least one of the longest chapters in John's gospel. This is the fifth week that we've been in here. Uh, It's a turning point in the narrative of the people who are following Jesus. And it's a turning point First of all, geographically, because up till now, the story's been focused in Galilee, which is the upper region, kind of the more agrarian area, the more rural area of uh, Israel around the Sea of Galilee. The rest of the book of John is going to center around Judea, which is the southern part where Jerusalem is. It's where the the big city is and all the activity and all that's going to go on. So there's a geographic shift starting in chapter 7, and so that's one thing that makes this text significant. But even more than that, it's a shift because the focus of Jesus' ministry up till now has primarily been big groups of people, crowds of people doing miracles, feeding the 5,000, all the things he's been doing with the crowds. And something's going to happen in this text, and actually Carl already read it, a lot of people are going to leave, and he's just going to be left with a few people following Jesus. And those are the folks that Jesus is really going to focus on and invest in for the rest of his ministry time, and we'll see why. We'll talk about that today, but it's a significant turning point. This text is that we're in this morning. So it started, chapter 6 today, with the feeding of the 5,000, probably more like 10,000 plus people. Those are the people that were excited about Jesus. Those are the people that had come to him. Those are the people that were believing in him, at least at some level. That section ends with them saying, surely he's the one. He's the prophet that Moses foretold that was gonna come, and now he is here. And then right after that, it's evening time, and Jesus walks on the water, which was another sign that he did, another miracle that he did, and it was just for his disciples. That one was just for his disciples, and we'll connect the dots to that in a little bit. And then he gets out of the boat and it's the next morning now and all the people look for him and find him they want another miracle they want to be fed again they think maybe this is the start of another you know set of miracles like how God fed the people in the wilderness every day he gave them bread every day he gave them manna from heaven so they come looking for that and instead of giving them bread again Jesus gives them some of the hardest words in the Bible he teaches a message in the synagogue at Capernaum that completely divides his audience. And he knows it will. He does it intentionally. He talks about being the bread of life. You know, he declares, I'm the bread. 
talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That was Jesus declaring he's God. And he's God in such a way that there's no life anywhere else except in me, the giver of life, the creator of life. That's what he was claiming when he said, I am the bread of life. And then we saw in last, last week's text, he took it even further and he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And you can just imagine the people think, what is this crazy man talking about? Just Jesus, go back to doing miracles like we liked you better when you weren't talking so much. And these are hard words to swallow. Lloyd gave us a great taste of that last week when he taught about the tension between God's sovereignty and our free will. And if you missed last week's message, it's one of those ones you want to go back and watch. And you know, we say that every week because we, we want you to be caught up. But it was a very significant message as Lloyd, with, with a lot of courage and a lot of grace, stepped into probably the most controversial theological topic in Christianity, which is who chooses who? <laughs> Do I choose to follow Jesus or does Jesus choose me? And the answer is yes. You know, the answer is both. And the illustration of the swing was so helpful. You know, the tension in this way and that way. And again, I can't encourage you enough to go back and watch that message online. Now, one thing I thought was kind of funny about Lloyd's message last week, there wasn't a lot of funny in Lloyd's message last week, but he did put his email address on the screen. Now, that necessarily wasn't funny in and of itself. In fact, I know his heart behind that. He's just like, this is going to create some controversy, and, and I'm going to own up to, you know, let's talk. Like, if, this, if you're struggling with this teaching, let me help. Let me talk. This is Lloyd being Lloyd, you know, just kind of... In inviting you in into the world. The, the only problem with that is if, if you happen to email Lloyd this last week, this is what you would have gotten back. <laughs> now, <laughs> I got so tickled by this because I was like, Lloyd, <laughs> you put your email address out there. Now, if you don't have your calendar in front of you, February 27th to March 3rd was Monday to Friday. The whole week, Lloyd was out. And poor Michelle Peer. <laughs> Somebody writing her saying, it's an emergency. I have to resolve this theological tension. And poor Michelle's like, I don't know what to say to this person. She had the worst week of her career at Fellowship. <laughs> Just kidding. But I thought that was funny. Okay, now to our text this morning. We're gonna finish chapter six and we're gonna see the aftershock of Jesus's explosive message. We're gonna see the after effect of what happens both to the, the big group of people that were following him around and then the few who are the 12. And I want us to focus on two things in this text. It's going to be a little bit of a shorter message because of the baptisms, but, but, I, but I think that's going to serve this message well because there's only two things you really need to know about this text. And, and, and it's, it's two keys of following Jesus we're going to find. And, and here they are. I'll put them on the screen. Following Jesus requires faith. And following Jesus requires a decision. Let's start with the first one. Following Jesus requires faith. Let's look at verses 60 to 65. When many of his disciples heard it, talking about the explosive message Jesus just delivered, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe in him and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Look at the first verse with me on the screen. The response of the disciples, and by here it's meaning like the larger group of disciples. We'll talk about the 12 in a little bit. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Now, what's interesting about this, most other places that you'd think the word would be understand, who can understand it. Instead, it's the word listen. Now, I, I dug into that word, and the context of that is who can accept it? Who can receive it? Who can take it in? Like, who can bear it? Who can listen to it? It, it reminded me of um, the first time I ever listened to jazz music. And I, I don't mean, you know, Kenny G jazz music. Uh, sorry for those of you that love that jazz music. I'm, I'm talking about like the early jazz music. I mean, the great artists, Miles Davis is a great example. I, I was a trumpet player in high school and somebody told me, he's like, you need to listen to Miles Davis. And I put in his album back then, you know, it would have been on the CD and I, I put it in. This is hard music. Who can listen to it? Like, who can hear this kind of music? This doesn't make sense. It's hard to listen to. Some of, some of it even sort of grating. But then I put it in again. I listened to it again. Huh. I put it in again. I listened to it again. And after a while, I couldn't stop listening to it. I think there's a little bit of this going on that the, the, the crowds of disciples, the, the, the hundreds and thousands of people who are listening to Jesus throughout these last couple of days, like, this is grating. What do you mean? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. This doesn't even make sense. It's hard to accept. It's hard to receive. And look at the question that Jesus asks. You know, the questions of Jesus are always important. He says, do you take offense at this? Interesting word, offense. That's the first time that word's been used. It, in the Greek, it's actually the word that designated the, the little stick that would hold a trap up, and then when an animal touches the stick trying to get to the bait, the trap falls on the animal. That's the same, that's where you get the word offense in Greek. Jesus is saying, do you feel trapped by this? Or maybe better in our vernacular, are you triggered by my teaching? Now, what would have triggered these people? And we know a bunch of them are leaving him at this time. What would have triggered them to leave? I don't think the offense was just they're grossed out. It's just like, oh man, he's talking about drinking blood and eating flesh. That's gross. I, I think that's all part of the package. But I don't think that's what really triggered them. I don't think that was really the offense. What was the offense? It had to be that Jesus was claiming to be God. That Jesus was claiming to be the source of life. That he's saying, I am the bread of life. And unless you're willing to eat this bread, my flesh, drink my blood, unless you're willing for me to be 
the center of your diet, for, 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 for me to be the one you go to for life itself, unless you see me that way, you can't have any part of me. Was Jesus was claiming to be everything. He was claiming to be the life source. And if you and I are honest, we struggle with the same thing. It's easy for Jesus to sort of fit into our world on Sundays and it's easy for him to have a little bit of a place in our life, but when he demands too much of us, when he demands to be the center of it, when he demands that, that, that we deny ourselves of some other things that we think could lead us to life, some things that he would not want for us because they're not in our best interest, and he says, come to me instead, like leave those other non-life things behind you and come to me, the bread. Many of us are triggered by that. We're tempted to leave or at least distract ourselves from his teaching. I think this is why Jesus goes on in verse 63 to, to say it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The, the words I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. See, Jesus is making it about belief. Jesus is always moving us toward faith. Now, there's another verse in between that I want to come back to, verse 62. He says, you know, if you're offended by this, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, I had to really puzzle over this this weekend. What in the world? How does that fit in? What does Jesus mean? And here's what I think he's trying to say. He's saying, if you're offended by my claim to deity, you need to remember from where I've come and where I'll be going back to someday. What if you were to see me, the Son of Man, ascending to where I was before? That's my true home. He's saying, in other words, Jesus is saying, I know it's hard to believe that, that I'm more than just what your eyes see. Jesus is saying, I know it's hard to believe that I'm more than just flesh and bones. But as I told you before, I'm from the Father. And in fact, I'm one with the Father. And someday I will return to the Father from where I've come from. See, Jesus is always trying to push people toward faith. Just like he said, it's more than just physical bread. I am more than providing for your hunger. Jesus is saying, I'm more than what your eyes tell you I am. And, and I think that's why he goes on to say, the flesh is no help at all. In other words, if you don't have eyes of faith, you won't see me for who I truly am. He's always pushing them toward faith. And remember, faith is always a leap. Faith is the place where you get right up to the edge of your own understanding. And then you take one more step. Faith is the place where you look around and say, oh, I can understand that theological position. I can understand that teaching. But this right here, I don't know about that. It's in God's word, but I don't know. Faith is saying, I'll choose to believe that. I'll choose to step out. Jesus is always pushing, up, pushing us up against faith. So if there's parts of the Bible that you don't understand and you wrestle with, that's okay. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to doubt. And part of what's going on is Jesus leading you right up to the edge of what you can understand and comprehend. And he's saying, I'm always gonna call you to faith. I've been thinking about this. I'm like, I think we need to get a little more comfortable living in the world of things that we can't fully grasp, we can't fully understand. And, and, and I'm not saying don't do good work in your theology. We'll, talk, we'll come back to that in a minute. That's really important that you engage your mind. But, but I'm also saying this. 
if you say you will not believe until you understand it all, you're not living by faith. And so that's where Jesus is taking them. He's taking them to that place. He's taking them that belief. Listen, here it is. Following Jesus has always and always will require faith. That's true for us. That was true for them. I used to think if I could just be one of the disciples and see Jesus with my own eyes and touch him and see the scars in his hand like Thomas, it would be so much easier to follow him. Not true. Most people left him. Even though they see him, they saw him, they saw his miracles, they ate the bread, they still left. Now let's go on to point two because not only does following Jesus require faith, it also requires a decision. Let's, let's listen to this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. And you kind of hear the dun-dun-dun in the narrative that's meant to create this tension again. This is a turning point in the Gospel of John. I love Peter's words. What I want you to see is I think Jesus, again, by asking a question, the questions of Jesus, Jesus is in essence calling them to make a decision. Following Jesus requires a decision. When I was little, we'd always get excited when our cousins would come over. You know, they didn't live in the same town as us, so it was always fun when they'd come over. This is, you know, my my dad's twin brother and his kids. We were all kind of about the same age and roughly half were boys and half were girls and we would argue about what movie to watch in the old VHS. And the girls would always want to watch Pollyanna. The boys would always want to watch Davy Crockett. You know, the, the, the live action Disney Davy Crockett with Fess Parker playing the role of Davy Crockett. That purely historical account of the life of Davy Crockett. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes from that movie is when they're, they're at the Alamo near the end of the movie and, you know, the entire Spanish, or not Spanish, Mexican army is gathered around and we all know how this is going to end. Like, there's no way they're going to survive the next day. And, and uh, Colonel William Travis comes and he gathers the small group of people in the Alamo, including Davy Crockett, and he pulls out his sword and he draws the line in the sand. Some of you guys can picture this. You at least know the metaphor. Supposedly, this actually really happened. And he said, I know we're not going to live, so I'm giving you a choice. Those of you who are with me and are willing to give your lives in defense of our freedom, step over the line. And of course, you know, everybody comes over the line. I think this is a little bit of what Jesus is doing. Do you want to go away as well? He's giving them an opportunity. He's calling them to a choice. Now, Peter, th- this has to be, you know, one of just a couple of, highlights, big highlights in, in Jesus's and Peter's time of following Jesus. Because look at Peter's words. Now, what you have to realize is he's talking for the group here. So Peter is emerging as a leader, and that's significant. He doesn't say, where am I going to go? He says, whom do we go? You have the words of life. We have believed and have come to know. I think what's happening here is when the grumbling started happening around the followers of Jesus broadly, 
the group of 12 huddled together, and I'm speculating here, but I think the text supports it. And they essentially said, what are we going to do with this teaching? Are, are we going to hear it? Are we going to receive it? Are we going to leave with them? And Peter emerges as a leader. And, and he comes out of that with a decision. And he's speaking not just for himself. He's speaking for the 12. And I think that's clear. And you'll see it clear as we finish the text. Now, this verse is, is pretty well known. Lord, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, what I love about this is it's so clear. Peter's gotten the message. Jesus, you are all there is that matters. Jesus, you are the bread of life. Do you remember that miracle that was just for them walking on the water? I think Jesus all along has been strategically working in the hearts of these 12 to come to a place of decision that he is who he says he is. So he uses them to feed the 5,000 the day before. Then he shows up in the middle of their fear and is present with them in the boat. And that sign's just for them. And he's preparing them for the next day to hear this hard teaching and receive it and believe it. And so Peter now speaking for the group, you're all there is. You are our sustenance. Where else would we go? You've got life. And he says, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Notice the order that he puts that in. Number one, we have believed. And number two, we have come to know. I think a lot of us want to do that backwards. God, convince me you're real. Jesus, convince me you really are who you say you are. I will know that and then I will believe. God's way is often like this. You believe and you come to know. Jesus, right before he raises Lazarus from the grave in John chapter 11, he says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Belief precedes sight. Faith comes first, but then faith leads us to a decision. Now, this is an interesting idea, and some of us are like, I don't know if that's really true, and, and I don't mean to dismiss or diminish the importance of theology and apologetics, which is you know the defense of the Christian faith using our minds. I love all those things, and, and I highly encourage all those things. But, but I also see it the way... Anselm saw it. Anselm of Canterbury lived in about a thousand years after Jesus. And this is how Anselm described theology. He, he, he said it this way. Theology is faith seeking understanding. It's not trying to understand so I can believe. It's faith seeking understanding. And I, I think he was echoing Augustine who came even before Anselm. Augustine said it this way. Unless you will believe, you will not understand. Christian faith sets in motion a quest to know God, to understand God, to glorify God. And that's what theology comes in and, and helps us. And of course, they work together, you know, our, our faith and our understanding, our faith and our knowing, they work together. But make no mistake, it's by faith. Faith starts and faith comes from God. Going back to Lloyd's message last week, and there's mystery in here, but this is where the scripture leads us. Look at Jesus' response. This is so wonderful. Verse 70. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you the 12? Pause right there. We'll get to the devil in a second. Did I not choose you the 12? 
Do you remember Lloyd last week with the illustration of the swing? And one of the ways he used the swing illustration was he says, imagine that inside this, it's a door, not a swing for a minute. Just imagine a door. He says, on the outside of the door, like where you're deciding if you're going to choose to walk in, it says, whosoever will come. It's like, okay, I guess that's my choice. I'm going to come. So you walk through the door and you get through the door and then you turn around and on the other side of the door that you couldn't see before, it said, you are chosen from before the foundation of the world. Do you see that exact same thing happening here? Peter says, we're choosing you. And then Jesus says, did I not choose you? The 12 I got to talk really briefly about the, the word choosing. And that was a good theme of Lloyd's message last week. But, but here's something I just want to add to that. When you trace God's choosing throughout scripture, what you find is his choosing is always intentional to use the ones he chooses to proclaim the goodness of God to others. Why did he choose a nation, one nation, one small little family, extended family of people called Israel? Why did he choose them? We know from Genesis chapter 12, so that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through them. Why did he choose the tribe of Judah out of all 12 tribes? That's the tribe he used that David came from and ultimately Jesus came from. Why is Jesus choosing the 12? Are they the only believers in Jesus that would ever be? He's choosing just 12 because those 12 will be the instrument of the salvation of many. And here you and I are today because of the chosen 12 that Jesus used to proclaim the gospel. Do you see? So let's not be prideful. Oh, we're chosen. Are you chosen? Being chosen is God's way of saying, I'm going to use you. I have chosen you to proclaim. I've chosen you so that the glory of God may be known all around the universe. And that's always why he chooses. One more thing before I go on to this last slide. I, I've got to say something about the, the Judas part of this because if I don't, I'll be the ones getting the emails. What in the world is going on? I've chosen you, yet one of you is a devil. Now, some translations even say the devil, which might even be a more accurate way to translate it here. Is Jesus saying the devil is incarnated in Judas Iscariot? No, he's not. No, he's not. One of the reasons we know that is because this is not the last time that Jesus will call someone the devil or the enemy. It happens again with Peter, of all people, the future, you know, leader of, the, of the, the early church. There's a different time, and some of you are familiar with this, when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they, they say, well, this or that. And then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Holy One, the chosen one of God. And, and, and then Jesus goes on after that, another high moment in Peter's life, and Jesus says, yes, and I'm gonna suffer, and I'm gonna die and then Peter steps in and says, no, you're not. not that's not going to happen on my watch. That's not going to happen as long as I'm around you, Jesus. You are not going to die. And Jesus looks at him straight in the eye and says, get behind me, Satan. I think something is similar here with Judas. 
I, I, I like the way that, that, that I heard it said. Let me see if I can, I can find this quote because it really helped me. Here it is, D.A. Carson, you know, really, really good Bible expositor. He said, the supreme adversary of God so operates behind failing human beings that his malice becomes theirs. I think Jesus is recognizing in this moment the work of the enemy in the heart of Judas. Just as he was realizing the work of the enemy in the heart of Peter later on. And so he calls it out. And, and many, many scholars believe it was actually this message of Jesus, this day, this sermon of Jesus that, that started Judas going down a path that would ultimately lead him to betray Jesus. And what I want you just to hold on to is Jesus knew exactly what was going on and he knew exactly how it would end and he chose Judas anyway. And that's what this text is saying. Okay, I know that creates questions. I don't have my email address, but you can find it easily enough, all right? You can find it, email me if you want to. I'd love to talk about that more, but I want to take us back to our two keys, and then we're going to do baptisms. Following Jesus requires faith. Following Jesus requires a decision. And what we're going to see in the rest of John's gospel is the implication of those two things for these 12 men that stuck around and, and how Jesus is going to stretch their faith to the brink and even past the brink in Peter's case. And he's going to use this decision that they've made to use them to change the world. Following Jesus requires faith. Following Jesus requires a decision. And this morning we get to celebrate the lives of six individuals who are going to be expressing their faith in the decision to identify with Jesus through baptism.